everyone and welcome to the World Class Stand podcast. Our special guest today is an England and Southampton legend. He appeared 443 times for the Saints, scoring 161 goals, including the last ever goal scored at the Dell. He's regarded as one of the best creative attacking midfielders of his generation and represented his country on eight occasions. Our special guest today is Matt Lassissier. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you very much. If you'd like to check out some CBD products, I've tried them myself. You can go to supremecbd.uk, that's S-U-P-R-E-M-E, cbd.uk, and use promo code TIS40, T-I-S-S-4-0, and you'll get 40% off your order. Matt, thanks for coming to the show. My pleasure. What is your definition of a world-class player? Oh, I think my definition of a world-class player is somebody who most people uh, would look at and think wow when you're having a conversation about the best players that's yeah best players that have played the game anyone that kind of gets mentioned in that conversation that kind of tells me that's world class if if a lot of people put your name into that conversation do you yeah. think uh trophies matter that definition do you think it depends what uh, i mean it doesn't my definition of world class um when you're talking about a world class player I'm looking at the player himself and what he can do, yeah. um, not what he's done as part of a team, because okay. I think that's a that's a very different conversation to have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously, a player can have a, a big effect on whether a team wins trophies or not, but he can't do it on his own. So if you're talking about somebody's world-class ability uh, as a footballer, then I, I personally, I just look at the footballer and see what he can do on a football pitch. Do you think that needs to be over a long-term, consistent yeah, years and years, season after season. Yeah, I really do. I, I think when you're talking about uh, conversations with world-class players and, uh, you know, the best that have played the game, uh, then normally I would I would say you'd probably have had to have done that over, a, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years at least. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, something definitely a length of time that, you can say to people, well, I wasn't just a flash in the pan. Yeah. You know, I didn't have a couple of good seasons here, a couple of good seasons there. Yeah. I did it over a, over a long period of time. Yeah, I think in general conversation uh, with football fans, I think it's the highest accolade you can actually give a, a player is the world-class level. So, yeah, that's what we're, we're trying to do on, the, on this show. And, uh, yeah. yeah, it's trying to separate the best of the best, really. And it's, it's quite tough. To, well, like it's tough because everybody's got a, a different opinion that's on it. things, you know. Yeah. So, it's, so it's very difficult to get a, a consensus on a, on a player because everybody looks at football and, and enjoys different things about the way somebody plays football. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and there, there are different levels. You know, you have, you have good players, you have very good players, you have excellent players and you have world-class players, you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's... Whatever player you mention, not every football fan will put them all in the same category. No, and that's yeah. why that's yeah. why football's so much loved, I think, because everybody's got an opinion on it and not everybody will ever agree all the time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think for world-class, for me, one of the things that I think about with world-class players, could you pick up that player and would he slot in his own position amongst the top sides in Europe? Is, do you think that's a fair assessment of a world-class player? Uh, I, I think that's one of the things that a world-class player would possess would be that ability to just slot into to a team anywhere and doesn't need kind of time to settle. You know, yeah. I, I, I kind of, I understand if somebody's moved country and they don't speak the language and it's a, yeah. you know, it's a bit of a problem for people. But I think if you're going from, from country to country where you do speak the language, then I, I don't really think you need that much time to settle, if I'm honest, if you're a, if you're a world-class you player. World class, yeah. Yeah. Just wanted to, you got any names to throw out that 
meet that criteria for you? World class? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Your, when you play down. Um, Steve, it's, it's not you, sorry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. I compliments here. <laughs> um, I, I would say probably during my time, I think there would be people like uh, Zindine Zidane. Yeah. I think yeah, it was yeah. one that springs to mind for yeah. me. You know, superb footballer over, again, a long period of time. Thierry Henry is another one that I played against that yeah. I, I would put in that bracket. Um, I played against Roberto Baggio. Yeah. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. I, I would. I would put him up there. Yeah. Um, and there's there's plenty more that that will spring to mind as we as we carry on talking through the through the next little while here. Uh, but those those ones are ones that kind of come in my in my era. I mean, I would have had Gazza in there. Yeah. Um, and and that's you know a real bone of contention I think for a lot of people because if we're talking about the criteria of doing it over massive long periods of time. Yeah. Um. I think because of Gaz's injuries, uh, I think had he not got that, that injury in the cup final, I think he would have kind of been in that conversation. Um, yeah. But I think that really took a little bit away from him uh, as a player. I think he, the Gazza after that knee injury was never quite the same yeah. as, as the one or never quite as good as the one that was before it, in my opinion. OK, well, on that note, uh, we're interested to know your all-time playing with and against 11, starting with goalkeeper through... Defence, midfield, and up front. So over to you. Okay, so um, <laughs> the eleven that I played with, I'm kind of picking it from the. I, I, I'm going to pick it from the team that I played with at Southampton because you know I, I didn't play very much for England, okay. um, yep. uh, and I you know I could name a, a players that I, I did play alongside there. But I think it's fair if I play, if I choose the ones from from Southampton if sure. I'm honest. So. Yep. Uh, so here goes. <laughs> There's a lot of and good goalkeepers. You might have to give them the stamp or not as well. Yeah. So well, that's a bit of pressure, I think. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I played under a lot of really good goalkeepers at Southampton. I think Tim Flowers, I think, would probably be the the pick of the bunch. Okay. Yeah, he was a good shot stopper. Yeah. Um, yeah. Come up very, very good shot stopper, and, and a great lad to have in the change room as well. Um, you know that that kind of helps I think as well in a team situation to be a, a good team member who's keeps everyone joking along you know yeah. makes everyone uh, not necessarily feel good about themselves because he was very good at taking the piss out of people <laughs> yeah. um, but in a way that, that wasn't offensive yeah. you know yeah. it was just great well, great goal, fun goalkeepers they've got a reputation of being a bit uh, over the top and, uh, and crazy haven't they yeah they so um, yeah. you got to be crazy yeah. between the sticks I mean, Tim had a little bit of that about him he wasn't one of the craziest ones I played with you know but we had people like John Burridge who I played alongside who was properly mental <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, then uh, about, I, I was quite lucky really you know because we had Bruce Grobler played with uh, Dave Besant Paul Jones you know international goalies yeah. um, so we had, we had quite a few but I, I would say Tim had a really really Good spell at Southampton, where I think he won Player of the Season a couple of times. So, yeah, great so for a goalie. So then my back four, uh, my right back. I always get questioned by Saints fans when I choose this uh, <laughs> because I always choose. Uh, most people are going to say I'm going to say Jason Dodd okay. um, because Dodd was obviously right back for a long time and kind of pretty much the same amount of time as my career. Um, but we had a guy uh, called Jeff Kenner who. Yeah, yeah, um, I know. Uh, who I thought was you know, a little bit better than Dodsey uh, as a fullback. I think he gave us a little bit more going forward than what Dodsey did. Um, and obviously he was the one that got the big move to Blackburn and went yeah. on to win the Premier League. Um, and so Jeff Kenner gets in as my right back. Um, 
Left back again is a surprise to a lot of people um, because he only played for Southampton for one season. Uh, and he was probably coming towards the back end of his career at the time. Uh, and he had a lot of injuries. But I played with a guy called Derek Statham, okay. who was probably the second best left back in England for many, many years. And the only reason he didn't get uh, a whole host of England caps was because Kenny Sanson was... Uh, around at that time and was a, an incredible left back but Derek Statham for me was uh, a very accomplished left back really comfortable on the ball I thought he was a bit ahead of his time in the way he played he was you know one of the full backs that was uh, very very comfortable on the ball rarely gave the ball away and was quite happy to go and join in attacks and um, so yeah Derek Statham gets in what era did he play uh, I, I, I'll be honest so that was the 87-88 season oh, mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> go way back. We were early, yeah, early nineties probably. Yeah, when Premier League first formed, actually. Premier um, League was ninety two. Yeah, 92, so yeah. I played with Derek in the eighty seven, eighty eight season. Yeah, these wing backs, uh, left back, right back. What, what were they like for pace compared to say modern day uh, wing oh, backs? Yeah, not, yeah, nothing like today. I mean, you look at people like Carl Walker now, and you just go, Jesus, how would yeah. you get past that? Yeah, um, but yeah, they, they, were, they were obviously. We weren't as athletic back in uh, back in the eighties and nineties as the boys are today. There's definitely definitely been a change in that respect. I think. Well, they focused a lot more on defending, didn't they? They were, then? yeah, and, they, was, and intimidating seems... the wingers. They yeah. were the fullbacks yeah. in those yeah. days. A lot of them were were just intent on you know, yeah, taking up the winger, having a, having a free go <laughs> yeah. at the winger early because you could do that and not yeah. get a yellow card straight away. Yeah. Back in those days, usually, and those be if they crossed the halfway line uh, for the most of the fullbacks back then. Wasn't so much as yeah, you was... know. I suppose maybe like when Gary Neville first started playing, that overlap with David Beckham, that was kind of the start of the modernisation of the mm. full-backs. Yeah, but. I think so. Um, so centre-backs, uh, again, I played with a lot of decent centre-backs at, at Southampton. Um, and I think I, I would choose... Yeah, I mean, there's, I've probably got six or seven I could choose from. Wow. Uh, and there's not you know a, a whole lot between all of them. But I think for the short spell that I played with Dean Richards at Southampton, he was yeah. unbelievably good. God bless his soul. Yeah. Because um, he was taken from us far too early. But he had a wonderful spell at Saints. He got a big move to Spurs on the back of it. Um, so he was he was excellent. Uh, and then we had a whole host of centre backs right the way back from Mark Wright, who was in the team when I when I first started. Ken Moncow had a great spell at Saints yeah. for, for quite a number of years. Um and the, the the second one I'm gonna pick actually is right at the back end of my career um, was uh, a guy a Swedish centre back called Michael Svensson. Okay. Oh. Who got who had the nickname Killer, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and he very much lived up to that nickname even in training. Oh, uh, no. Yeah. He was one of those players who didn't differentiate between a match day and a okay. training day. Okay. <laughs> he didn't care if you were your teammate. If it was a practice match on the on the training ground, he he would play just the same as he would. So, um, and he was a he was a fearsome. He made a good partnership with Klaus Lundbarn for for quite a number of years there. Um, Klaus was also another one that, that would be unlucky not to get in. Richard Hall was another one who was really good centre back. Uh, injury cut short his career a little bit, but he was incredibly promising. So yeah, there was there was quite. I played with Russell Osman, another England international, who was probably the best two footed player I ever played with. Mm. Um, which you know, as a centre back, it was quite and, surprising. Yeah. yeah, 
but he was very cultured, but also a very good defender as well. So, yeah, I have plenty to choose from centre-back-wise. Uh, in the midfield, um, I'm going to play 4-4-2. Okay. I'm going old school. I call yeah. that. I call Is that, that earlier. Old school. I said old school, 4-4-2. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, in the centre of midfield, I, I, I have to put in Jimmy Case. Um, because Jimmy at Southampton had a big influence um, on me in my my early years. He was coming to the end of his career, um, but he was he was a proper old school old pro. He mm-hmm. would look after the young kids. You know, I'd be playing out on the right wing. It, you know, if the left back was trying to kick the crap out of me, Jimmy would mm-hmm. Jimmy would just wander over and let him have one <laughs> on my behalf uh, and just go. You know, put put him in his place a little bit. Um, but he could also play. You know, he. He was quite happy to put his foot in, but he was also a really good footballer. I think probably a little bit underrated uh, mm-hmm. as an actual yeah. footballer because of his hard man uh, image. So Jimmy would, would get in as one of my centre midfielders. Um, the second one, will, will, if you're not a Southampton supporter, you'd probably go, who? Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, he only played about just over 20 games for Saints, I think, in okay, the one okay. season he was with us uh, in the mid-90s. And that was a guy called Ronnie Eklund, um, Danish midfielder. And we only had him on loan. He was he, we got him on loan from Barcelona because Alan Ball, who was manager at the time, was mates with Johan Cruyff, who was manager at Barcelona. Uh, we just happened to be in the same pre-season camp over in Holland. Stayed at the same hotel as Barcelona, and Ballie and Cruyff were you know, Cruyff were chatting one evening, and um, and Ballie just happened to say, you know, have you got what, have you got anyone spare? <laughs> uh, can you lend us anyone? And uh, Johan Cruyff just had a think about it, and he went. He said, uh, "I'll leave you a present in the morning," nice. and because uh, Barcelona were leaving the next day, and they left behind Ronnie Eklund, uh, and he came and trained with us. And right from the first training session, I was like, "Whoa, this boy can play!" Uh, you know, and we were right on each other's wavelength right from the start. It was the the most fun I had on a football pitch was when uh, when I played alongside Ronnie. So that was pretty good. Was he quite an attacking player? Then? Yeah, yeah, he was. yeah. He was attacking midfielder. Um, just really, really comfortable on the ball. Uh, saw pitches early, um, saw passes early. He was a good finisher. Um, and yeah, he just had a back injury which cut short his, his career at Southampton, really. And that was that was a bit of a shame because that was that 94 95 season was the, was the most fun I had. I ended up scoring 30 goals that season. I was going to say, yeah. I thought that was your, yeah, one of your best scoring seasons. Yeah, so they would be my, my two in, uh, in midfield. Um, out on the left wing, I'd have to put Rodney Wallace. Um, Rodney was, uh, again, up there with Ronnie in terms of player that I enjoyed playing alongside. His pace was electric. He was a really good finisher. Um, and he got he got me out of a lot of, uh, a lot of trouble because I knew um, if I just put the ball in an area, I knew that with his pace he was going to, he was going to get there before any defenders. So even when I was in trouble, I didn't even need to look. I would just pop the ball in this in the area, and he would just sprint onto it. And everyone would go, "Oh, what a great pass that was!" <laughs> <laughs> well, not really. I just put it in there so he can just <laughs> he can just run. So he used to make me look better than I probably actually was. Um, so Rodney was definitely getting the team. Um, right side of me, I'm not going to pick myself. Obviously, uh, we weren't sure about that. Either. I would have picked you. <laughs> Stick yourself in. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think as a as a right sided midfielder or a right winger, um, 
Rodney's brother was was pretty good as well. Danny, who obviously got the move to Man United, uh, so played alongside Dan for for two or three years uh, before he got his move. In fact, it was a, it was actually Danny's move that paved the way for me to get a regular place in the team. Right. So as a kid, I was you know in and out of the team on the bench a lot, and it was only when really when Danny moved to Man United that all of a sudden I was like. Okay, that, that's my spot now, and the manager kind of trusted me, and um, and so yeah, I, I got a lot to thank Danny for as well. So, uh, but again, he was uh, he was pace electric. Um, fans loved him at the Dell, um, and he, he could do things that other players couldn't. Um, so yeah, Danny would be there on the right, and then I've got to pick two up front now. And the manager as well. Oh, and the manager. Well, yeah, yeah. the manager's easy. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> Obviously, the, the Premier League's all-time top goal scorer okay. um, would have to get in my team. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, Alan Shearer would have to be in there. I mean, he he probably got better after he left Saints. To be honest, he wasn't prolific for us, right. but you could tell, you know, he was he was going to be a player, uh, and he was getting better and stronger every season. Um, and when he left to go to Blackburn, it was just the making of him. Um, so, uh, so yeah, Alan would be one of my. That would have been devastating if he stayed at Southampton. You too, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we had a, that that season when me, him, and Rodney were all playing uh, up front, and we had a couple of seasons. But um, the eighty nine ninety season, especially, was was one of the funnest seasons that I had. I think the the football that we were playing, you know, a, a lot of weeks we were playing four two four. You know, Paul Rideout was up front as well with with Alan, and I remember Liverpool coming to the Dell in October eighty nine, and they hadn't been beaten all season. And they came to our place and we smashed them 4-1 and it could have been 7 or 8-1 easy and nobody could have complained. You know, we were in the woodwork, all sorts. Um, so that was a that was a fun team to play in. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think the the second player up front with Alan, I think I, I have to go for uh, one of the guys back end of my career again, um, but he was a little genius on a football pitch. Um, again, injuries probably meant we didn't see the best of him over a long period of time. But Marion Pahars, all right, mm. a little Latvian Michael Owen, yeah, um, he was an unbelievable talent. Uh, he was one of the very few players that uh, would do things in training that would have me going, "How do you do that?" <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and so yeah, I was really impressed with with what he could do. Um, so and he he had big hand in keeping us up in the I think it was the ninety eight ninety nine season um, when he came in and he could barely speak a word of English and he came in and scored a few goals at the end of the season and helped keep us up and the fans absolutely adored him and uh, rightly so he was he was when he was fit he was really really good for us yeah so and the manager um, is pretty easy I played on the nine but there was only one really that stood head and shoulders above the others and that was the late great Alan Ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never he really a... built a team around you yeah. uh, during his spell there. He did, he did. He got the best out of me in a way, kind of probably none of the other managers really did. You know, he had a belief in me that that perhaps none of the other managers really did. I always felt like most of the managers would always kind of focus on the stuff that I couldn't do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, um, whereas Bordy would just focus on the stuff that I was good at and let me go out and do it. Uh, and that eighteen months he was my manager was the best 18 months of my career so I got 45 goals in 64 games in that period when Alan Ball was my manager so yeah yeah, 
you know, you know the, the stats tell it all, really. Indeed. Did you have your best goal scoring season was 30, and then the following season, did you have 19 goals? The season um, after, 95, 96? So, no, uh, I think it was that many in 95, 96. My two best seasons were 93, 94 and 94, 95. So I had 25 in 93, 94. They were all league goals, actually. So that was my best league goal scoring. Um, and then the following season, I got 30, but I think only 19 or 20 of them were in the league and I scored a load of goals in the Cups that season. There were a couple of good wins in there. Um, some absolutely uh, outrageous uh, strikes. Uh What's your favourite of all the goals? I saw your top ten yeah. um, last last night, actually. So, uh, show my daughter. <laughs> and um, she couldn't believe the type of goals I were going in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my, my best goal, um, I would always class as the goal I scored at Blackburn against my old mate Tim Flowers. <laughs> so that was, that was pretty special to score from like 35 yards past him and him get nowhere near it. And is so, it true about the towel as well? The... I, I, I don't remember that conversation. Okay. Uh, like, I don't know where that, that came from. Um, I mean, I might have had that conversation. It's probably something that I might have said to him, just taking the mick. I don't, I don't explicitly recall having that conversation with him. I, I mean, I did have a conversation with him where I told him where he, he actually said to me that I was never going to score past him when he left <laughs> when he left Saints. So uh, that was nice to put an over on him there. It's a great goal that was. Yeah. Yeah, so that was my that was what I consider my best goal. You asked what my favourite goal was, and that's something slightly different. My favourite goal, it was the, the last ever goal at the Dell. Right. So Brilliant. that was a pretty special way to sign off the old stadium. You know, 2-2 two, two, two against Arsenal, came on at sub, hadn't scored a Premier League goal all season and came on and whipped a left foot in half volley in the top corner and scored the winning goal in the 88th minute, I think it was. So Yeah, yeah. That was a pretty special way to send so, off the old stadium. So you mentioned that um, not long after that you had a corner where you could have possibly whipped it <laughs> and then you was thinking, hang on a minute. <laughs> Someone else might get the last goal. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I played a short corner of the Wayne Bridge. <laughs> Before he had a chance to cross it, the ref blew the whistle. <laughs> Happy days. Don't want anyone stealing your <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Historical moment. <laughs> Take it, yeah. Wayne Bridge scoring the, the, the last ever goal at the Dell doesn't have the same ring. It? It? <laughs> it was my destiny. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's my Saints lot. Good yeah. save. Out of those, um, is there any that you'd give the world class stamp to? Um, no, no, not even Alan Shearer, maybe. Mm, he'd be the closest, yeah. He'd be the closest. What didn't he do for you then to not quite get it? Um, it's a good question, actually. This is what we've been finding on this yeah. podcast. It's so tough to yeah. give and so yeah, tough to uh, define what world class is. Yeah, because I, I think uh, Alan was great at what he did. Um, you know, uh, I, I think there were some deficiencies in his game. Um, so he, his left foot wasn't uh, particularly good. Um, I would say, as the years as the years went on, I think he became. Uh, more of a an out and out goal scorer and didn't really want to get involved too much in the right. in the rest of the build up play and stuff. So I, I just think he was just that little level below what I would describe as world class. Okay, mm. interesting. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask because, um, like you said, maybe he hasn't got the blistering pace or the amazing technique. He just seems to be a, 
a very good all-rounder. Yeah, and it, it was, all came it was together a good, old-fashioned, proper centre-forward, but with a little bit... So, see, when Alan was playing for us, when me and Rodney were playing on the wings, um, we actually, me and Rodney both outscored Alan in the 89-90 and 90-91 seasons. Alan didn't get anywhere near the amount of goals me and Rodney got uh, because the way that we played, we were kind of, me and Rodney were wingers that liked to come inside and score score the goals. We weren't kind of take your man on and get across him for someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, so what it meant was that Alan used to do all these runs in the channels and he, he would end up yeah. running the channels and he would end up crossing to, to me and Rodney sometimes. So I, I think when he went to Blackburn, Kenny Dale, he actually said to him, look, he said, I've got two great wingers. I think he had Stuart Ripley on one wing, I think, and Jason Wilcox on the other. Yeah. He said, I don't want you moving outside the 18-yard box. He yeah. said, I don't need you to do that. So Alan was like, woohoo, <laughs> <laughs> this is great. Goals. Yeah. And that's what he, that's that's why he got he did what he did, you know. The manager believed in him and played to his strengths. Yeah. And that's what Borley did with me, and that's how you get the best out of players. Yeah. And um, speaking of um world class players, is there any specific that stand out maybe from the Premier League in your generation that you'd say is world class? Um, well, Henri was the, was really the, the standout one yeah. for me. That was kind of late nineties when he kind of came to Arsenal. I think no, around ninety eight, ninety nine, somewhere around there. I think he scored his first goal. He scored at the his day. first goal yeah. at the day. He did. Goal, actually, he did as well. We sent we set up actually a lot of players on runs. You know, if you were having a barren <laughs> spell, you wanted to play against Southampton because we were quite happy Dale. to go and have a go- <laughs> have a goal against us. Uh, Dennis Bergkamp went twelve games when he joined Arsenal without scoring. Okay, guess who he scored his first goal against. <laughs> Probably one of those curling. We were good like that. Corners. Yeah, it was actually. Yeah, I stood right behind it at Highbury. He was a player. Would he? Would he get a stamp? A stamp for you, Dennis Burger? I think he probably would. World <laughs> class. Yeah, I think, think a few of us would give him the, the world class stamp. I think he would. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, again, a player like that, I, I would pay money to go and watch. Mm-hmm. I, I would happily, you know. I don't pay money to watch a lot of football, but (laughs) (laughs) Dennis Bergkamp in his pomp, I would be paying money to go and watch that. Is it more towards, because you've said previously that you you played more for the entertainment side of things and put a show on for the fans. Is that the type of players you'd lean towards world-class, those true entertainers that can, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I didn't, obviously, I didn't know a lot about defending, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I would find it difficult to judge what a world-class defender was. Obviously, I'd played against players that I found difficult to play against. Mm. Um, but in terms of like the, the technical details, and uh, I didn't really kind of go into any great in-depth analysis about defenders that I was playing against or you know what their strengths and weaknesses were. I just backed myself with my ability to do what, do what came naturally on a football pitch and see where we went from there really so yeah I love the entertainers and um, um, my team will be packed with them <laughs> Do you think that um, that sort of playing style I see a marauding centre midfielder attacking midfielder has been taken out of today's game uh, is things overcoached with banks of four keeping tight rather than you know yeah, the game I mean, used to be more open in the middle of the park and a manager would play to, to the strengths of that whilst today mm. today's game seems to be more about the whole unit rather around the it's players definitely, Yeah it's definitely more focused on uh, team units and, you know, formations as opposed to, you know, individual players and and what they can do. So I think a lot of managers now have got a set formation in their mind that they want to have and they'll put the players in their place that that they think is best for that formation. 
Um, you know, I think a lot of the times back in our days, the manager would look and go, "Who's my best players? Yeah, what's the best formation?" Yeah. And that's you know, it's a, just a di- slightly different way of looking at things. Yeah, build um, a team around the best players rather yeah, than rather than have a set formation that you want to play, and then go right, where's where they're going to fit in? Where's where's best to fit everyone into that team? Um, mm. And there's merits to both sides of that argument. And you know, I think managers nowadays kind of want to make it. I feel like managers these days want to make it about themselves as opposed to about the players Yeah. these days. They, they, it feels like there's so much focus on the tactical side of the game that yeah. managers always want to be seen as, oh, I made a tactical change there. That's the reason why we won the game. Not the fact that that bloke just stuck one in the top corner for 25 <laughs> yards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think uh, one of the first managers who kind of really, in recent times, I suppose, is, is Jose Mourinho, where he come over with the whole special one. And mm. whenever Chelsea won a game, he's like, I won the game. Or, you know, and, and then in the post-match press conferences, you'll have him talking about, it's more about, you know, the referee's decisions and deflecting. And maybe there's an element of protecting the players there, but definitely felt like he was making it more about him than more about the players, at least mm. uh, later on in his career as well. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a fair comment. I think he did I think he definitely changed the perception of managers in this country. Yeah. I don't think we'd ever really seen anybody who was kinda that upfront about his ability and how highly he rated yeah. himself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I loved it. I it wasn't was was breath of fresh air. Until he then <laughs> went to Man United and then he turned into this grumpy old git. <laughs> he just used to moan about everything and it was a shame. I loved I loved the the Mourinho that first came across, I thought was brilliant. Um, and then, I don't know, I think he just got a bit fed up with everything, just yeah. lost his enthusiasm and, yeah, just turned into a grumpy old man. He managed to get Man United second as well. Yeah. And it's quite surprising. Do you know what? I, I remember him saying that, you know, that was one of his best achievements yeah. in his manager mm-hmm. career and everyone going, yeah, everyone laughed better, it. <laughs> And when you look back now, you go, oh, actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that team he had, <laughs> yeah. that was some achievement. What about the the GOAT, greatest player of all time. Who is that player for you and hard to compare across different eras of different players? It is because um, I think the, the game changes and evolves so much. It, it's, it's almost impossible to have a conversation where you're talking about somebody who's played in today's game and then transport them back to like the 1970s where football was a very different game. You know, yeah. It was brutal in the 90s. I mean, so you see some of the, the old... ITV. I don't know if you watch any old ITV yeah. match stuff. That yeah. some of the tackles that are coming in <laughs> in those games, and you're going, "What?" And it's not even getting a yellow. I mean, these are red card tackles, and they ain't even getting a yellow. In fact, they're not even getting spoken to. Referees just mm. gone. Yeah, okay. free kick. Carry on. Um, and it's just like, how would how would Lionel Messi have coped in yeah. that era? You know, I mean, George Best managed to do it. Pitches as well. I mean, pitches was another point I was going to come to. Get I mean, George Best on <laughs> pitches today. I absolutely he unbelievable. He was, he was unbelievable. I mean, how would you have anyway. got the ball off of him on a yeah. <laughs> on a decent pitch? Compared, you couldn't get it off of him on a yeah. mud pad. It was just incredible. So yeah, that I, I find it really difficult to try and compare and contrast. You can mm-hmm. only kind of can only kind of go with the best know, the, era. Yeah, the era that you're in. You, you compare to other players in that era and. If you feel like that's the best in that era, that's fine. So I think you can define it as the best in your era. Mm-hmm. The best of all time is a is a conversation that we could sit here and debate <laughs> it's, for it's difficult, ever it? and ever, and it will go on forever and ever. So in this era, are you Messi 
or Ronaldo uh, between them? Yeah, I mean, I've always been a, a bigger. I I look at it and think, who would I pay the most money to go and watch? And I, and that would be Messi for me. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that is not detracting in any way, shape, or form from uh, Cristiano Ronaldo because what he has done in his career has just been absolutely phenomenal. The volume of goals, the way he's yeah. The professionalism he's got, the way he's carried himself, the way he's looked after his body, is just taking fo- football to another level. Really, mm. you know the professionalism that he showed. So um, both of them are world class. Uh, I would pay more money to go and watch Messi. Simple as that. Yeah, yeah. And he costs a bit more now in the MLS. They put the ticket prices up everywhere. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, they yeah. Will cost you a few <laughs> more quid to go watch him. Yeah. There's been times in your career uh, where you've had potential moves away. Um, Spurs come knocking once, Chelsea and also uh, Liverpool. What would it have actually taken you to get out of Southampton? Um, would it have been like a big European club, like a Barcelona, Real Madrid, something like that to tempt you out, a monetary figure? Is um, it- I, don't think, I don't think it's really about the club, uh, to be honest. Um, you know, I've, I've been asked this question uh about um, <laughs> about if I was now at Southampton mm-hmm. and would I still be, would I make the same decisions again? Yeah. Um, uh, and when I think about it now, you know, if I was at Southampton now, maybe earning, I don't know, 60, 70 grand a week, which, you know, is not unheard of at Southampton when they were in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, now, if, I, if I'm earning that kind of money and then, you know, Man City come in, and go, well, we'll give you 250 grand a week. Now, I'm <laughs> thinking about that now, going, I'm not sure even I could turn that down. <laughs> and, I, and, you know, and I was happy at Southampton. I loved it there. And I, I don't regret any decisions I made in my career, not, not at all. And the monetary thing back in those days wasn't as big. Mm. Um, so, for instance, I prob- when, I, when Spurs tried to buy me in 1990, um, I remember I'd spoken to them and we'd agreed terms on a contract and that contract was a three-year deal. I think the first year of the deal was 1,100 quid a week. Um, now, I, I turned that, I obviously turned down Spurs and I ended up signing a new contract at Southampton which wasn't far off of, if not, if not pretty much the same as what Spurs were offering me. So the differential back then, the money thing wasn't really a, an issue mm-hmm. in 95 when Chelsea tried to buy me it was a little bit different so I was probably on maybe two just over two grand a week at that point and if I'd have gone to Chelsea I mean they would have probably been talking about I don't know 10 or 15 grand a week mm-hmm. so you know it, it, although it's massive don't get me wrong I'm not I'm not saying it's not huge money uh, but in comparison to today yeah, yeah. yeah. the ratios it, are bigger the rate are yeah. much bigger it, than it's these. just like it's multi-generational wealth as opposed to that, that's the point lifetime wealth. I mean you're not you're not just making sure your kids are alright you know that's your grandkids sorted out your grandkids grandkids yeah. um, and that would have to be that would have to be taken into consideration and, and I think it would be very difficult in this day and age for now if I was at Southampton now and somebody came in for me and offering those kind of figures I, I don't think I'd be able to turn it down yeah okay what about if when you're playing you might have been asked this before, but if Southampton got relegated when you were playing mm. and those clubs came in for you? Uh, so I always felt like um, 
I would have wanted to have given it a season okay. to try and get us back up. Um, because I always felt like, certainly kind of once I got into into my 20s, um, I always felt like there was a responsibility on me and that team to score the goals, to create the goals. Yeah. That, was, that was my job in the team. Um, and if we'd have got relegated, I think I would have felt responsible. I would have felt like... I haven't done my job properly. So if that's the case, I feel like I should stay a season and try and get us back up again. Um, and if it worked out that we didn't go back up that season, then I think I would have gone, don't really want to play down here for too long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I, I should be playing in that league. I've scored goals in that league. Uh, yeah. I know I can play in that league, so I should be playing in that league. So I, would have given it, I think I would have given it one season. So that's it for today's episode, guys. Catch us next time where we'll be discussing the current game with Matt Letissier. If you enjoyed the video today, please consider dropping a like on the video. And if you'd like to subscribe to the channel, you'll be notified for new episodes when they drop. But that's it for this time, guys. Have a world-class weekend, and we'll catch you all next time.